All right, fellas, the pandemic has been rough on us and on our relationships, man. I know a lot of guys are struggling, trying to find that 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 peace, that balance, trying to build that relationship. And, and honestly, even if you if you did well during the pandemic and your relationship is solid, it's always good to try to be better. So we're doing it again. My wife and I are bringing you the virtual couples retreat for our second year, right? Last year was phenomenal. Tons and tons of uh, results. People got an opportunity to to share. It's an inclusive thing. So not only are we teaching you, uh, there's yoga, there's couples massage, there's all these different parts that go into it, man. And, and the connection with you and your lady is phenomenal. This year we'll be doing it November uh, 14th. I'll be posting more about the actual dates, but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up, man. That thing is coming around soon. So grab your lady, uh, you know, let's, let's build on these relationships. Remember for your children, that relationship between you and your wife or your girlfriend is, is super, super important in them understanding and having emotional intelligence. They are watching you. So make sure you're giving them a shining example. All right, man, back to the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Forfeit Fatherhood podcast, a podcast for fathers by fathers, where we talk about the four pillars of fatherhood, which are faith, family, finance and fitness. And uh, I'm excited to have this brother here. I had the uh, the privilege of, of getting to meet him in person um, at a, a podcasting event. And uh, it was it, uh, to hear his story. And, and, you know, it seems like a really good guy, really genuine brother. So I'm excited to uh, to dive into that and to get to know him a little better. Uh, my guest today is Les Jackson. Les, how you doing, brother? Hey, what's going on, man? Good to finally see you again. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to have you on. And I, again, I thank you for taking the time. I know, uh, I know you're a busy man, as, as most of us are. So anytime we can take time out of the day, I know it's very valuable. So I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. Listen, it's it's one of those things that just to have the opportunity to be able to still talk with somebody, another man, another father, um, about other things that's not sports or things that help us grow. I think it's a, it's a, it's a privilege, man. Seriously, it's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little, a little history on who Les is. Thank you, man. I'm Les Jackson out here in Texas. Um, myself, 20 years married, 20 years military, retired. I have two kids. I'm a girl dad. Um, so patience and understanding, uh, and <laughs> mental is something I definitely pick up. Um, big time family oriented. Born and raised from New Orleans, um, big into just in family uh, and making deliberate memories, man. And then for me right now, uh, being in my early 40s, um, everything now has been a gift. You know, I was able to have some eye-opening experiences uh, in my life that I'm very privileged to be able to be here to give back. And I feel like each day right now is just a blessing, a gift uh, for me to find the next person to do whatever God has me to do for him. So that's me, man. Just here, mainstay of my household, um, and just enjoying life right now with the family, making memories, man, supporting key as a family, while also trying to find um, what's my purpose, or as I would say, when I find out what I'm going to do when I grow up, that'd be really good once I really find out. So uh, still discovering, listening is um, a big thing, man. Finding time to listen to what I'm supposed to be doing is the other thing that I'm constantly doing to find that quiet time to determine What's next for you, dude? Like, what should you be doing? So that's all you got, man. Okay. All right. So you got two two daughters. How old are your daughters? 15 and 11. 
Okay, so you're you're ahead of me. So I'm I'm definitely gonna be reaching back to you to ask questions because I got I got an eight and a ten year old and uh, I'm getting some of that preteen stuff from my oldest one already. So so I'm definitely gonna be tapping in like less man. Hey, look, I know you've been through it, dog. Tell me, tell me, <laughs> tell me, tell me what's going on. We're going to middle school next year, man. I need some help. Let me know what's going on. Yeah, man. Listen, it's uh, one of those things where there's no guidebook, especially when being a parent for one, but then being a girl dad. Um, they're teaching me things that I didn't even know I should be listening to, thinking about, considering. Um, so it's something that is like, I think this is what we should be doing. But then again, it's like, you have girls, man, they see things differently. And so um, something as small as, it's funny, my kids now, anytime they wear skirts or dresses, they only know, hey, make sure you have your you know shorts on because one does volleyball, <laughs> one does cheer. So they always have tights and the neat. And so it's funny because one day, comes out the room and they say, Mommy, do you have on uh, shorts with me there? And she's like, I'm a grown woman. I think it's kind of funny, man, because that's just the standard that I set as a girl that I'm only saying, hey, have shorts underneath your dress or skirt just because that's just a gr- that girl dad thing, man. So right. the tools is just something we always think about trying to protect these babies and just teach them uh, the, the small pieces of life that we've learned. So yeah, yeah, that's that's something I do too. My uh, my youngest is like, she likes wearing dresses and skirts. Uh, my oldest does sometimes, but my youngest is like really into it, right? Like she she we go shopping, she's buying she's buying a dress or a skirt. Yeah. I mean, she buy other stuff, but she's guaranteed to get at least one of those. And every time she comes out the room, I'm like, and she's like, yes, yes. <laughs> it's yeah, thing, you, man. It's a thing that we think yeah. of, and I asked my wife, I said, do you? Were you like kind of forced on the show? She was like, no. But she was raised by her mom. So I was like, okay. I said, but I think most dads would be the first thing to tell their daughter if they have on a skirt or a dress, you have shorts underneath just because that's how we are. Um, yeah. So I think it's funny that that's the thing that we think about. But the, the spouses, they're like, no, nah, I don't really worry about that. So I was like, well, you should. If you knew how to do it, you should. Right. Yeah. It's that it's that protection piece. And we were, we were little boys before. Like, we know. <laughs> We know what little boys are up to. <laughs> we thought of those girls who didn't have shorts okay. underneath their skirts. Like, hey, okay, I don't be that dad, so I'm good. Right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I don't have to. I don't want to come up to the school and fight nobody's dad. <laughs> um. <laughs> so so uh, so fifteen years ago, you become a father for the first time. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Man, it was. The way it happened, so my daughter's born December third. On the first of the month, I finally get a get promotion in the military. We also close on our home. My dad and I painted probably about six bedrooms from the first to the second to get the house ready and get moved in so we can have this baby on the third. So that was just getting the preparation, all the work we were doing, uh, no sleep. It was funny because we prepared for this child to come in. We're doing so much work just for this child who probably is not going to even understand, notice, or realize what we're doing, getting ready for her to come in. And I think just to see what the confirmation of my wife and I's love was, that little baby, man, um, it was one of those things where you, another level of life was opened up in your mind. You know, when you're in your 20s, we had her when I was 27. Um, you know, we just got our first house. So you're still figuring out life. We're finally getting to a rhythm of paying things, um, a workflow, but once you have this child, it changes how you see life. Like, I drove probably 30 miles an hour coming from the hospital, right? That was, it was a very delicate moment for me. So, 
I didn't want anything to scare her, shock her. Um, I kept looking back, are y'all okay in the back seat? So there's more of a, of a heightened sense of awareness, a heightened sense of caution, and you just became this ultimate protector and soother. Like whenever she cries, I want to find out what's going on. I want to learn what the cries mean. So I was more into how do I make sure that I'm getting this right, not being right, but getting it right, um, based on just not knowing. You know, um, I grew up my dad being around not as much, but as far as the nurturing side, I got that from mom. So. I think the benefit of the plus with my wife and I, we both were our nurturers. And so I kept that little baby in my hands, man. Like my daughter's 15 and I still hug on her like she's, you know, two years old because that's our language that we do, like that affection. So she just, she made me realize the decisions that I make, choices. Um, it made me really feel like I might need to focus on like her as a priority versus me. Before she was born, I didn't think about that. I thought about me. I thought about what I want to do. But for her, once she came here, man, it became a priority of whatever I do is for that child. Um, decisions I make, what vehicle I drive, um, now paying for daycare, just everything that we did was focused around her. And for me, it matured me a lot, man, because I really uh, hang out with my fellow, my, my, my fathers, my friends. That was really great. But it was like, um, my little baby, though, man, she might be up tonight and be home. So it really made me really focus on just her and what I need to do to improve for her. So it made me think of, hey, you might want to finish your education because at some point she's going to look at you and say, hey, what was your education level? Mom has a master's degree. Dad, what do you have? And so I start thinking of now, what do I look like to my daughter? Um, and it was just really just a blessing, man. Like everything was about her, uh, my life. And I enjoyed it because it made me feel like this is why you're on this earth, to raise her, take care of her. And to be that role model for her. Um, and I was reading a book, I think it's like Good Fathers, Better Daughters, something like that. Uh, and I passed it on to my friends. One of the key things I got from it was allow your daughter to see everything that you do in the household so she knows what it's normal for a man to do. But don't restrict the things that you can or cannot do. Right? So if you say, well, this chore is mainly what a woman normally does, I didn't care about that. Like I'm washing dishes, I'm folding clothes, I'm washing clothes. Um, I took up sewing. Well, I can want to learn how to sew just in case I got to hear my sew something. Why? Because why not be this person who knows things? Because every leader I knew, man, they weren't unlim they weren't limited in life. Like they knew things because they they read a book or they sought that information. So having a daughter and having a child made me become like a habitual learner for learning new things and never having the attitude of mm -hmm. I just don't know because I can't ask her to pick up something that she doesn't know if I'm not doing it myself. So I think the leadership by example too is a big thing that I inherited once I had her, man. So she kind of changed my life to where I want to continue continue to learn, continue to be mature and grow. And just, that's really what she did, man. She changed my life to that point where I don't want to be just a selfish individual where I can watch TV, play video games, chill out all day. It was more like, hey, what are you going to do productive to make sure she's set up? So that's what I end up being, man. And so we still have fun too, but it matured me more than I thought it would as far as being a, a first time father. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. Now I, I have to ask you because because uh, for some guys it's not they don't see that right away, right? It's like, you know, the kid is coming into my life. They gotta fit into my life and the way that we do things and that we got a program that we're running. Uh 
how what was it was it just easy for you to flip the script and just make make that the priority or did you have some kind of kind of apprehension or struggle to it it was it was a bit rough um because it, i would say i had the foundational components the discipline portion being in the military um so i had that portion um already but to tailor it to where um i was also patient with my wife when she was going through I think the biggest thing that my daughter did it allowed me to see my wife as someone that I need to be more understanding based on what she's going through with her body physically, also mentally, post, you know, postpartum. Um, and so that portion was rough because I found myself wanting to be more of a great father, but then I totally, not neglected, but I really kind of dropped the ball some on, you know, my wife's attention because I was like, hey, let her rest, let her do her thing. Uh, but I think the biggest piece was because I didn't really have an example of what I should be as a father when it comes to raising a newborn child, uh, that, that made me kind of want us to see how to do things more. Um, so it was a little bit of a struggle because, again, I didn't know, you know, what to do. I'm always calling the doctor, hey, how should I be doing these things? I called my mom. Uh, I called mm -hmm. her people who I knew for a fact did a pretty good job raising their children. So I networked, man. Like, hey, what do I do if this is this? So that made me feel more comfortable because I have anxiety, honestly, man. I didn't know that's what it was, but I would have anxiety trying to go to sleep, but I was worried about, did I drop the baby? Did she fall out? Is she breathing? Like all those things really mess with me. So it was a bit rough to where I could take this whole cloud full of confusion and really kind of start to fragment it to where, hey, listen, get a baby monitor, make sure he has a video so you can hear what's going on. Uh, that I release your anxiety of, is she breathing? Is she okay? Um, our feeding schedule, uh, put alarm clocks on your phone, all these things. So it was it was a bit of a struggle, but I had to structure it to, that worked for me. So at least I knew I was doing the basic components to, you know, just being a father at the basic level of just being physically there, you know, um, not being afraid to change diapers. Um, and, and really, I think the biggest motivation was whenever I would hear certain guys that I knew that would say they weren't comfortable picking up their newborn baby, um, or they didn't feel comfortable being at home by themselves with their, their, their child. Because I had been in situations with the military where I knew if I had the opportunity to go back home to raise a family, I wouldn't take that for granted because there are some guys here and girls here who aren't able to do that because they aren't here anymore. So for me, it really became a serious thing to where I appreciate this gift that you have because making a child is not easy. So I think I really appreciate it being able to be a father for one, but I, I struggled uh, with understanding how to, it probably took me about probably a good six, seven months at least just to feel like I have a rhythm now because I was out there, man, losing sleep all over the place. Um, think of a teenager who you say, listen, I need you to get everybody in order as far as organizing. Like that'll be really rough if you never had any tools or anything to help you do that. So it was a struggle initially because I was all over the place. But to take the time to, to format it to where I had a schedule and just focus on the basic things, I think that's what helped me honestly feel like, okay, I'm doing pretty well with this. Because as she got older, uh, it didn't require as much attention. But the first couple of months, especially newborn, not knowing why she's crying, why she's not eating, um, you know, even her bowel movement colors. What is this? What does this mean? Let me do some research, right? So all those things, you become like an overthinking, overworking person. And just, I just wanted, again, to, to try to get it right, man. So a lot of learning, a lot of anxiety, 
um, a lot of stress based on just not knowing, you know. Uh, I would say my dad, who, like I said, he, he's a calm dude, man. He's like, son, you can't mess this up. Like, whatever you do, you're going to be a hero to her. So whatever you do is going to be great. Just be there. And that was all I needed, man. The rest was up to me. Like, that was my blank canvas. The rest I was able to go ahead and stroke and paint um, the way I needed to that worked for me. So um, it was a little bit of a struggle, but about six, seven months, I finally felt like, okay, we're getting it. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty common. That's pretty common. I think a lot of us go into it thinking, well, initially we're always like, you know, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. Right. And then people tell you, well, you're not going to be ready. You just, you know, when it, when it happens, you're going to figure it out. We all have figured it out. You're going to be okay. And then you get into the middle of it and you're like, whoa, wait a minute now. Um, but, I, but I, you do, you do find your way and you catch your stride and then you just start like things just start kind of happening for you. Um, but I think something that you said that was important is that you start reaching out to people who had experience, um, who, who, you know, had, had proven that they could do the job or had done the job, or at least can give you advice that you could put value in. Um, because I think a lot of times as guys, we, we get into situations where we're like, uh, that old, you know, we don't want to ask for directions. We don't want to stop and ask for directions. We're just going to figure it out. And uh, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and no one's going to judge you for it because anybody that's been in it knows exactly what you're going through. Right. So any of those people that you would ask for advice would be like, oh, man, yeah, I'm glad you came to me. I wish I would have had somebody to, to tell me what I'm about to tell you. Um, but I, I think we get so so kind of stuck in that. Yeah, we get stuck in that ego part of it where it's like, you know, I'm I'm dad. I got it, right? If I can't figure it out, nobody can. Um, but that ain't the case always. Um, that's one of the things. I think yeah. I, I end up talking to um, some of the, the most calm, mild-mannered visions of leadership that I've seen in other uh, men, especially in the military, man. Um, they weren't barkers. They weren't, hey, look at me. Come look at, come see me. They didn't want to be seen. Um, if they didn't know something, they reached out to somebody and said, listen, can you help me with this? And I realized those guys in a building networks of people they knew could help them navigate stuff. And so because I was fortunate to see how that worked, um, that's what I focused on being a father. Like, listen, I had a best friend of mine, uh, Ronald from high school, man. He, he had a kid before me. She was a year earlier, but he had already been through it. He was hands-on also. So I'll reach out to him and say, man, look, like, how do you do this? And one of the things he, he mentioned was like, dude, just focus on one thing. And that's it. Like, find the one thing you don't know, start doing it, feel comfortable. And then once you have that, then work on the next thing, dude. Like, you have to do that. And that's it. So I think for a guy who doesn't really know but is too prideful, understand, like, you really may do your child and yourself a disservice because that's an opportunity. It's a teaching moment, man. Like, I learned having a child gave me a whole bunch of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I realized... Ignorance and knowledge have no age limit, man. So my 15-year-old daughter can teach me something that I have no idea because she's more experienced in it. That's fine. Um, so I would just say really probably not what man, listen, I've watched dudes who led and who like try to father with pride and father with, hey, I'm the man. And man, listen, it, it, it comes out in the worst times that you aren't prepared. You know what I'm saying? Like when life is good and times are good. Yeah, you're fine. But when you meet a father who lost a, a, a newborn child or an infant, man, that's different based on how they would do, how they would parent 
if they had the opportunity again. So that portion hit me to where I didn't want to make sure I wasn't in that that feeling of you know remorse or feeling of man I really squandered an opportunity uh, to be a, a, a you know hands-on father. So I would say any father man don't be prideful if you don't know that's great that's a learning opportunity for you learn grow reach out because guess what somebody's going through it and has done it and mastered it just reach out to them man so. Um, my fear made me want to reach out and I think that's how I operate right now. If I don't know something, I'm afraid. Cool, we'll find out until I'm not afraid anymore. That's the best way. Again, the Marine Corps told me that, man, is to get over your, your fears. Attack it. Attack it, learn it, um, and then learn from it, man. And then you get stronger eventually once you, you know, attack it enough. So, yeah, don't have that pride, man. Do not have pride trying to be a parent um, because it, it's, it's temporary, right? That's it. So, yeah. No pride. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, when you when you do and you get prideful in the moment and then another another moment shows up, like inevitably, right? If you conquer something, there's going to be something else that you're going to need to you're going to need to face and conquer again. And if you haven't built a resiliency to the fear or you haven't built a, a, a mechanism to overcome it, then it's going to defeat you every time. Um, and, and as, as the leader, right, we, we need you to, to, to conquer these fears so you can lead the family properly. Right. You say things like, and that's like, it's a cop out. I mean, I've heard guys like, I don't want to do it. And they feel like that's okay. Right. Um, that works. But once you keep on saying that multiple times, you become somebody that your child is going to come to because you always don't know. So it should be, I don't know, but let me find out. I don't know, but let me get back to you. Or I don't know now, but I will eventually. Um, because that's, and then when you look at those, I won't call them ignorant, but those individual fathers who don't really provide much in the household. And I saw, I, mean, I heard something that was really kind of saddening. Somebody said, man, there are a lot of single mothers who are married. And I was like, that's wow. Because again, yeah. they're still raising kids by themselves yeah. because the father, while the father role is not doing what they're supposed to when it comes to teaching, growing, building, developing, that's just what you do. And so not being that person, I think if you keep, if you want to cop out or try to say, listen, my pride, I'm a man, I'm doing these things, that's fine right now, but you aren't giving your child tools to be independent thinkers, right? So I think that's the portion that I realized that you can try to do the easy route now. And we've seen the products of fathers who were there physically, but not in the, any kind of you know rearing role, uh, and now when you look at that child now, it's like man, they have something that they could have picked up if that father would have done a little bit more work. Because we have a man, we have a special appointment in our household for our children and family, and I did not realize that until again meeting other men um, who had the same uh, beliefs, had the same upbringing, uh, or who didn't, but they saw. Listen, I don't want to ever be raised like I was raised, someone do the total opposite. So once you see that man, you realize, like, listen, we have a specific mission in our household. And I realized that when I see, when I've seen the end product of those households that have absent fathers, even though that father had the same meal addresses the rest of the family. So um, not, as we say, not on my watch, man. That's why, again, I took that position of... <laughs> I do because I'll be afraid I, because I can't get that time frame back. I only have this time frame for my child to be 15, 10, 11. That's it. Right. Because once you're right. older, 
can't get that back. And that's the biggest thing. I do not want to be 67 years old, not caring about nothing in the world. And I'm regretting what I could have done in my thirties and forties. And so it's just something that I don't want to do, man. Cause I've seen guys try to get it back and it's too late. Not, and I don't, I learned, listen, I learned from others mistakes, man. I do not want to be that person living life with regret because I can't get it back. So again, we're being deliberate, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that my, my dad told me when my, uh, when my oldest was in that, that why phase where she's asking why this and why that she asked a lot of questions. And he, uh, he told me, um, you know, if they ask you questions, never just send them to, to their mom. He's like, if you, if they ask you, you try to answer. And if you don't have, yeah, if you don't have an answer, you have to try to find the answer or get the resources to get the answer. He was like, because eventually they're going to stop asking you questions because you're just the middleman, right? If they come ask you and you pass them on to somebody else, well, eventually they're smart enough to know, hey, I don't need to waste time asking this guy if she's going to give me the answer anyway. Um, and so I, I'm always like, when they ask me stuff, even if I don't know it, I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't know exactly the right answer. This is what I think. But you know who might know? Mommy might know. Let's go ask her. Uh, you know, or let's, you know, let's look it up. We just turn into a research project. We're about to sit down and Google it. And we're going to, we're going to figure out all the stuff we can about whatever this question is. Um, because I don't want to create that dynamic, uh, between me and my children where they feel like they don't need to ask me because I ain't going to know anyway. Uh, or, or I'm not going to answer them in a way that gives them some clarity on whatever the situation is. Saying for the why phase, us growing up, you know, asking why. You may have done that one and a half times before you got a verbal response, right? Uh, or physical response when you ask your parents why, because that's just the time we're in, the time frame. But now, because again, society, uh, the different cultures, why could be an opportunity for you to have a real life lesson with your child when, they, when you ask why? No, sometimes we want to hey, because I said so, or because not right now. But a why could be an opening for you to actually, your child is now asking, hey, give me some knowledge right now. When I ask why. So again, it's a teaching moment. Um, so definitely they ask why, hey, give it to them. This is the reason why. Because I want my child to be an independent thinker when I'm out of her life, uh, whatever that time is. So yeah, love the wise. Right. Yeah, and that, that's your time to shine too. Because if they ask you something you know the answer to, oh man, you, you become a superhero immediately. Like, oh man, my dad knows everything. <laughs> Um, and it could be the smallest thing, right? Because they're learning, they're learning everything for the first time, right? And so it could be the smallest thing to you, and it may not be significant to you in that moment. So it's like not right now, or or you know, you know, kind of get out of my face kind of thing. But but that's yeah. your chance to like st to stand up and be the hero. Yeah, and just, just give them some substance that they're asking for, and again, they they feel closer to you. Um, yeah. When you ask your child, how, why does your dad and your mother love you? It's not the things you bought. It's not, um, not some of the places you took them might fall in that, but it's really just more of those moments. My dad took time to teach me something, to show me something, to explain something to me. That's what love is. It's patient. Um, it's kind. It's accountable. Um, again, it's, it's, it's always present. And so that's what love is, man. So that's how they know you love them based on, again, those conversations and those moments that, that you have. Um, the smallest thing for me, we're going, we're going to get the meal together. That's big for my kids, man, um, because we go walk and talk, right? So I didn't put that on paper. That just organically happened. 
Um, and that's a thing for us now. So just those moments, man, is, is what, you know, again, those whys in those times, allowing your child to see this is why my, my parent loves me because they're taking the time to explain, demonstrate, um, inspect what I'm doing, right? And so that's really kind of the, the, the whole purpose behind the why is the teaching moment. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I I always try to to make sure, again, even if you don't know it, right? Even if you don't know it, don't be dismissive, um, you know, because that's also another another really cool opportunity to show them how to problem solve, right? Because there are going to be situations where they're outside of your house or they're away from you where they're going to be presented with something that they don't know, they've never seen, and they don't understand. And you have an opportunity to show them ways to resolve that problem or that situation in that moment, even in the small things. So I do, I do have a question for you because you, you kind of mentioned it. You mentioned a couple of times your, your father. Um, and I think a lot of times we talk about the fatherhood journey and we, we really only talk about like when we became a father. Um, but that journey typically starts with our father. Um, so what was your, what was your, your relationship like with your dad? It was good, man. My dad and I were real cool. Um, so my dad was, again, I, I'm, I'm starting to realize some of those dads born in the 50s, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, they didn't have many options, man, when it came to their growth for most of them, uh, especially in the South, being from New Orleans. My dad was always there. He and my mom divorced when I was about three, four, I believe. Um, but he was always there. He lived like seven miles away from the house. Um, but he was there, man. Every time where, again, he wasn't. But I knew I could reach out to him. He never would not answer the phone, um, you know, the house phone back then because nobody had cell phones. But he always, you know, wanted to be present. Right. Again, he wasn't always, but he wasn't, it was nothing malicious and nothing that was derogatory that my mom and my dad had, right? They would say still respect each other. Um, so he was he was there just in a divorce capacity where he was. Um, and my dad, again, he didn't really give me a lot of life lessons directly but it was more inadvertently, right? So um, my dad does construction and is watching how he managed construction, watching how he just lived his life, man. My dad was always in church, he had deacon, always wore suits and ties, you know, whenever he was at church. So, you know, he really made me look at him as this, you know, he's a big six foot six, six, seven guy. Um, he was just this big, huge hero to me. Like, I love my dad. Anytime I walked in the room with him, I was like, this is my dad, man. And mind you, I may not see this guy for, a month. I'm seeing this guy, man, I see him for a month. Um, or say three weeks, two weeks, because again, during, during school time frame, uh, I may go see him on the weekend if that, but whenever I could get him into the school and I was like, man, it's my dad. It was a proud moment. And he could do no wrong. It's funny, man. He could do no wrong, even though there were times where he couldn't come through financially or come through with his time. That's, that's human stuff, but that's fine. But me learning with unconditional love, boy, the dude was still there. So fast forward, me deciding to want to um, join the military, um, he was, you know, very straightforward with me. If you want to do this, uh, it's a good decision, but it's something that no one can hold your hand for, um, or with and through, and you just have to be your own person, make your own mistakes, be careful. It's time for you to, you know, really focus on defending and taking care of yourself. So he really was more of, you know, if I asked him a question, he was very blunt. Um, you know, he was a kind of father, listen, if you're going to go out there and do drugs, do it at my house. I want you out there in the streets doing it. Like he wanted to protect me, but he also wanted me to realize you have to live life too, right? And understand you're going to make mistakes and do stupid stuff. So he was very straightforward in the rep, man. And, and I mm -hmm. appreciate him doing that because 
there was never something that I couldn't go to him with. I mean, he was always present as far as that, what you think it is, man. And he'll, oh, so let me tell you, what about conversation, man? I mean, we can go to working on a house, putting up sheetrock, stripping the floors, um, doing whatever it is, man, and just having a conversation. He was just that guy. Um, and so he didn't really directly say, let me teach you a lesson. Let me get, take some time to teach you something. But he was always there to listen, and he still is, man. I can call him to this day right now about anything, but he was always there to listen, and he would give his time um, when I did call him. And it's funny because even the things that probably negatively he did from me being born to now, I don't even realize and know them because all I know is the times that we had conversations. And that's a beautiful thing. And we've had money. Listen, we've had some manly conversation now that I've become a father. So I remember one time my dad, man, I, uh, I struggled in high school, right? And so um, I think I got a D in a class. I got home. Uh, this is my senior year. I ended up moving my dad, lived with him. So I get home, first report call period. Mind you, I was a student that I had no idea what my grades were going to be when I got to school for a report call time. Now, talking to my wife, she knew. She already knew how great one ever. She knew the grades she had. Dude, I was clueless. I was like, let's see how this is going to go. And so, man, I get a D in this class. <laughs> my dad's upset. I get to the house, and this dude, like, really, really, like, whips me because I got a D in this class, right? And I was like, man, how does this dude whipping me for struggling? I've been living with him the whole school year. Like, dude, you could help me with this homework. But, man, you sitting there giving me a whipping right now. I'm like, I'm trying to mess I could. I was going to class, you know? And so it's funny. So fast forward, my daughter is now in school. I do homework with the kids. Um, because one of the things I will not do is have my child think that mom's the only person who can do academics in the household. Should not be that way. Fellas, don't do it. It's a cop out. Learn what your child is doing in class so you can actually teach them. Um, and so I met my daughter with homework and I stopped. We get done and I called my dad. I said, man, listen. I said, dude, why you ever did homework with me? And he was like, well, son, I already know what I was doing in that class. I saw the numbers and the letters. I had no idea what kind of math I was doing. I said, well, dude, you gave me a whipping for failing this class, and you couldn't even do it. And so he's dying laughing because he's like, you're right, son, you're right. But again, it was a different culture, man. It was a different time frame. And so mm -hmm. I realized, my, I'm not calling him to knock him for not doing homework with me, but I just want to understand why didn't you? He was like, I didn't know how to do. That was okay, but that's the difference between getting how I parent, how my dad parent. And nothing negative is just that I want to make sure that my child doesn't see any types of um, vulnerabilities in me that aren't, that can't be resolved or failed, we'll say. So yeah, if I don't know this subject because I dropped out of school, that doesn't mean I can't teach my child things. I might need to take some time to learn, understand, go online and find a tutorial or something, um, just so I can help out. But yeah, man, I really, um, our relationship is still good, it's great. Uh, I think it could have been better growing up as far as the frequency that I saw him. But again, it, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. So I have no complaints, man. We still talk. Um, kids love their granddad, man. He always wants to be here. Like my dad cooks like a lot. So he, you know, there is, again, there is no, I never had a feeling of what a man, the man doesn't cook. Like my dad threw down, dude. Like he cooks well. Um, <laughs> I to my mom. My mom said, you know, your dad taught me how to cook. And I thought my mom was a phenomenal cook, right? I had no idea. And my mom told me, she said, listen, I had no idea how to cook until I met your dad. He taught me how to cook. Never knew this dude till like probably three years ago. I'm like, what? And so realizing like, wow, I'm learning stuff about my dad that I had no idea. But again, 
he did the best he could. It, I enjoy him mm-hmm. still. Uh, and again, no complaints. He could have been around more, sure. But again, it was okay, man. It turned out okay. So, um, again, yeah. he, he but he's fathered other men too before in the church, throughout the community. Uh, he's that father figure for many. And so that's one of the things, that's the next level of fathering. Um, you have your own kids, but when you can start to affect friends, family, and other, you know, human beings, man, um, that's a different level of now fathering, if you ask me. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The couple couple things that I that I want to take away from from that is um one <clears throat> because I know a lot of guys are kind of going through the similar thing where you know you got some kind of split custody or you get to see your, your kid here and there when you can or when you can't and the schedule is not exactly the way you would like it to be right but I think you have proven that you know even though you're not there all the time if you're impactful when you're there then your kids feel great about it, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like you say you had seen him for a month and then you see him, it's like, ah, you know, that's, there's that thing that's there. And I think a lot of guys get in these, these custody situations or, or whatever life situations where they just aren't able to be there or the kid lives on the other side of the country. All these different things happen. They're like, man, uh, they kind of throw up their hands and almost give up a little bit. But, but I think if you can, if you can see it, it, these examples of, of guys that are still being huge impact in their children's lives and producing young men and women who go on to be great young men and women, even though they aren't there, you know, as much as maybe they want them to be. Um, I think it's very possible, uh, but you have to, you have to definitely be, uh, you have to have some intention about how you spend that time um, for sure. Uh, and then the, the other thing is, is, is funny. Um, that that uh that that next level of fathering, right? Like I I know we we are in the middle of it, and we've got our own kids, and we're fathering them, and we're doing the best to father them. But there is a level of fathering that that happens in the community. Like I think sometimes when you're just like a, a really good dad, you notice like the kids in the community, or your your daughter's friends, or your son's friends, they come over and they love you too. Like oh man. Like they can't wait to come over your house or they love to see you at the practices or when you come to school, they're like, Hey, Mr. Richard, like they're all excited to see you. Um, I think that that's infectious. Uh, if you're, if you're doing it, doing it right. Right. Like people, you, you, you kind of extend past your household. Yeah. So. In, in those drill instructors would take them into a private room and they'll ask them, listen, here's the deal. I understand you want to quit. But if you quit right now, or if something happened to you, who in your life is the most important person that you would not want to disappoint? And after I kept hearing this, you never really heard all, all the time, mom and dad. It was grandmother, uncle so-and-so, maybe my mom, maybe my dad. But to hear those different names, I realized that mm-hmm. what makes life valuable to another person, um, it could be just your presence when you're around. Not the frequency, but the, not the, I would say, not the quantity, but the quality of life that you give to them. And so for those fathers who have custody issues, you can't see your child as much as you want to. Um, it's that timing, that time frame, that period that you're dealing with is very challenging, right? Um 
But that's just that phase and that season that you're in doesn't determine or dictate who you're going to be for that child for the rest of their life. Um, you have to probably swallow some pride, try to find a way to make that thing work that's better for the child. Because again, a leader doesn't care how they get it done as long as they get it done. Um, and so when I start looking and listening to what's so important in parenting outside of your household, I think of the think of anybody who's a leader. If you feel like, man, that person is a leader, they are. They know that they are. Their life and what they say is worth more than what they think it means or how it sounds to them. So you think of somebody who's in leadership position who is doing a pretty decent job or who is leading multiple people, the masses, right? They realize that I'm not, I'm bigger than, this is bigger than me. What my own thoughts, how I learn, how I do things, it's bigger than me. And once you realize your kingship, man, and your worth and your value, I think you don't shy away from, again, teaching moments and being there for somebody else. Like, there's nothing wrong with me telling one of my daughters, you know, volleyball or cheerleading, you know, schoolmates, listen, I love how you're performing, what you're doing. Continue to do that. If you're struggling, it's okay. Dig deep, find something that works for you. Um, you know, find your, your, your niche, find your thing. There's nothing wrong with being a parent to others because that's what makes life great for those children, for those kids, for those people. My mentors, these are men who are fathers of other kids, but they gave me tools that my own dad, he didn't either know or it was their mission or their purpose to give me that tool to put my, my you know, leadership toolbox, or my father toolbox. So, yeah, man, like parent, parenting outside of your household, once you realize who you are, your value, your worth, and what you bring to all tables, um, it makes it a little bit easier for you to say, hey, young man, young woman, dude, chick, hey, let me help you out real quick. Um, you might not consider this. Not in an embarrassing way, but hey, listen. Can you please? Like I've I've called teenagers, sir. I've asked please to teenagers before out of respect because again, you don't know me. Just can you please chill out, watch your language, there's little kids out here. If please, if you don't mind, right? I'm asking, you know, man to young man, man to young woman, you know, please, you know, chill out. Um, it's challenging, but going back to that village concept, what is your role in the village, right? And I don't think your role is to be a mm -hmm. docile person, it's to be someone that's value added to your family, to your household, and to society, and to your village. So I think once you realize that, that pride goes away, that responsibility comes in and allows you to really see who you're supposed to be. I think that's what helps you wake up in the morning saying, okay, what's my purpose? Who should I be in, in, impacting? Um, what should I be learning? How should I be growing? I think it helps from leadership inside the household and outside, uh, outside the household. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, man. 100%. I think, I think, uh, your, your influence spreads, um, and as it should, right? Like we, we, we call ourselves like the king of our home or the king of our household. And typically a king has a kingdom that he rules over and that's our house, but the neighboring kingdoms also know of this king, right? They also know of some of the, the ways that he acts and he, he interacts with them as well and, and keeps the peace outside of his kingdom. Um, which yeah. I think is really important for, for all of us to, to understand it is as much as it is about your immediate family, it's also about the people that they're going to interact with, right? Like if you aren't, if you don't have a major or, or, or some type of influence outside of your home, when your kids leave, while you may be able to protect them inside of it, you may be able to provide and preside and do all those things that we say we want to do. 
But when they leave, you have no longer have any influence, right? There's just, it's like the world takes them and you have to kind of let go. Um, but I think one of the things that, that I think is really cool in, in our area is because I've been coaching around here for a long time, like almost everywhere we go now, like we see people and my daughters see people and like, they know that's coach Rod's daughter and they know like, so, you know what I mean? There, there's this, like, there's a little bit of, they're still going to do kids stuff, right? They're just kids and they're going to do like little mischievous stuff and all that. But they're like, Oh man, no, that's coach Rod. No, no, never mind. You know, <laughs> or they, they, you, you, I'll see kids like doing stuff and they don't see me. And then when they see me, they kind of freeze up. I'm like, look, man, we're not at, we're not at practice right now. We're not in the, you know what I mean? Just, just go do your thing. Just be smart. Right. Like, and always like, I, I, there's a standard of, of the way you should carry yourself. Uh, don't get outside of that. Right. You know, I'm not your, I'm not your mom. I'm not your dad, but, but I'm gonna hold you to a certain standard. But yeah, I'm not, not your friend. That's the biggest thing. Like, I'm not your friend. The fact that your friend will tell you what you want to hear, I will. But I'm also gonna tell you what you need to hear, not what you want. Uh, I remember, man, growing up, Mr. Stovall, the next door to us, man. Dude, I got in trouble for not speaking to Mr. Stovall, and there really wouldn't be a problem except for Mr. Stovall would stand behind a screen door that you cannot see from the outside. And so, when you pass his house, all you see is a screen door. And so I went to my grandmother's house. And about five minutes later, he comes banging on the door. Hey, where's that little boy? And so like, hey, Mr. Stovall, how's it going? And he said, Juliet, you are not going to believe this. That boy passed by my house two times and did not speak to me. I was like, Mr. Stovall, you wasn't outside. He said, you know you see me standing in that door. I said, Mr. Stovall, like, you can't see inside your house. And he's like, who are you raising your voice at? Now, was it? I said, Grandma, I said, Grandma, you can't see inside Mr. Stovall's house from his screen door. He's like, well, you can see in my house. Uh, you know, you saw me standing there the door waving at you. And I remember my grandma fussing at me. She's like, listen, whenever you see Mr. Stovall, you better speak to him. And I laughed because it wasn't about the principle that you didn't see him, but the fact that that man requested re respect from you, and he was going to make sure that somebody in your household knew mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm watching this little boy. Here's the impact of it. If somebody was doing something stupid in the street, I thought about Mr. Stovall, like, if this dude catches me, he's going to tell my grandma. Or if he catches me, he's going to chastise me, right? So his presence made me say, right. let me chill out. Big picture, Mr. Stovall could have possibly saved my life from doing something more stupid than things I did already, just because of that one incident where he was trying to let me know, you make sure you speak to me, because when you see me, you speak to me. And to me, that was very impactful mm -hmm. because... He didn't have to do that, but it also had a secondary and tertiary um, effect on my life because I care myself differently out in public walking the street around his house because that dude might be watching, right? So that's the, again, that biggest concept, man. Something that's right. small, you don't know that it impacts so much. And um, I just hope that we can continue to have those things for our children, their friends, uh, their schoolmates, just so that we can make sure our kids bring the best out of themselves as they grow up. So, yeah, Mr. Stovall definitely, again, just one little yeah. lesson, but it's really changed the impact in my life, man. So he didn't even know it. Uh, so if you family of Mr. Stovall and y'all watching this, please reach out to me, man. I want to see how y'all doing, but that dude and those <laughs> kind of got me straight to where I was like, every time I, I used to walk by this dude's house and just wave, even if he wasn't home. I didn't care. I'm waving. I don't care. He's not going to fuss at me. I'll tell my grandma, yeah. you know, wait a minute. Yeah. So, yeah.
that that's impact, man. That's impact. Like he, because and the, the crazy part is, is that you couldn't see through a screen, so you couldn't tell if he was watching you or not. So you had to like, you had to act accordingly because it, it, you might mess around, and he actually was looking that day. So you just had to straighten up and fly right. See, yep. So no throwing, no no no, no throwing rocks in the windows, and you know, at cars, you know, like I'm just throwing all my catches, dude. <laughs> Chill out. And so the guys in the neighborhood be like, man, who's this football? Like, it's that crazy dude living in the house next to my grandma, man, because he gonna he, he's looking, dude. But that, again, that was the presence, man. <laughs> the presence yeah. is enough to help a kid out, man. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I, I, uh. I do, I do definitely want to ask you because I think you have a really interesting story. Um, and I don't know where it fits into your timeline. I'm not sure when it happened, but I, uh, I, d- I heard you talk about it at the, at the podcasting event I mentioned. And then I was listening to the Dear Son podcast just the other day. And, uh, you, you talked about it there as well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really curious to, to, to learn a little bit more. I, and I think it's something that we all kind of need to be aware of too, um, because health is, is extremely important. And, uh, being a guy who's in the military, I would assume that you're pretty healthy. You look pretty healthy when I saw you. Right. And then I hear the story and I'm like, oh man, dang, that's crazy. So, uh, would, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yes, man. Um, so, uh, April of last year. Um, I end up having a STEMI heart attack. Um, what this is is a very serious heart attack where uh, your primary artery that leads to um, the heart is 100% clogged. Um, STEMIs is what you normally hear uh, terms heart failure in athletes or young individuals um, who seem fit, who seem to be healthy, but they still have um, heart failure. And so there are people in the past who have died at a young age from heart failure. Um, Many died after I had my STEMI episode. And so I had 100% blockage in um, my main artery. And what it felt like was, uh, think of the thickest milkshake or piece of bread that you can eat. And it felt like it wasn't going down like something stuck in my chest. But it felt like the front and the back. So whatever it was, just felt like it is not going down. Um, and that's the initial feeling. Uh, then following that, there is a sense of I'm overheating. Um, I feel like I'm sweating for some reason. I feel hot internally. Uh, and then the uh, ring finger, pinky fingers on both hands uh, started to tingle. And so I realized something's not right. And it felt like then nerve issues where my neck felt really like something was squeezing. And so at some point, um, as this pain started to be more and more intense, um, I told my wife, something doesn't feel right. And it feels like I slept bad on my arm, both arms, because I'm not getting any blood to my pinky finger and ring finger. And so because the pain uh, started to get more and more intense and hard, like a almost think of a, a cramped Charlie horse, but in the middle of your sternum is what it felt like. Now, I could breathe, I was coherent, but it just felt like something is wrong. And so we ended up going to the closest hospital. That wasn't the original plan. We had planned on going to a hospital about 15 miles away, uh, but I had enough time and awareness just Google hospitals. They have one like 0.7 miles. Um, and so we get to the hospital, by the time I drove, say, six square blocks um, to the hospital, I get out. When I get out of the car, I now can't pick up my right arm. And so I walk into the emergency room. The guy gives me a wheelchair. And I explain to him, so something's going on. I don't have feeling my right arm. My left arm flex is going numb. Um, and I have this massive, just feel like a, just a big, huge cramp or blockage right here in my chest. 
And so they put me in the back, they put me on the EKG, uh, and when the lady tore the paper off, she's like, take off all your clothes right now. And so I'm like, but what's going on? Because my eyes are closed now because there's pain, I'm sweating. Um, my wife is outside parking her car. And so by the time she comes inside um, to see what happened, they're rolling me into the ER. And she's like, listen, your husband is having a massive heart attack right now. Um, and he needs to go to surgery right now. And so the whole time frame, I'm talking to my wife, like, hey, these people are saying I'm a heart attack. She's like, yeah, I know. That was the first time I've ever seen fear in my wife's eyes. Uh, and she was trying to stay strong, man. You can tell. And so they ended up rolling me to the back. Uh, they strapped me on a table and they strapped my wrist down. And the doctor ended up going, uh, the new procedure, uh, ended up receiving a stent. Uh, this is just a piece of plastic that they put a mesh they put in that vessel to open open up the clock, the blockage. And so it felt like the procedure took only 20 minutes. Um, and while I'm, I'm aware the whole time, uh, they did not put me under, uh, they went through the wrist. And so when they finally opened it, I felt this huge relief in my chest. And so I'm still not understanding what was going on because I still didn't know the time frame that I was having a STEMI. I just knew I had something going on with my chest. I thought they were just clearing uh, some kind of blockage, digestive something. So we get to ICU, the doctor, uh, Pastor Gula, awesome doctor, uh, he comes in and so he's talking to us and he's like, listen, he's like, I, I want you to understand that you had some serious coverage over your life today. Now, I didn't understand what he was saying because I don't understand how dire this was. I don't. And so we're asking questions. He said, listen, you had a STEMI blockage in your chest. You have another valve that's about 40% blocked right now. Um, like, were you not aware that you had any problems? Like, no, listen, 20 years in Marine Corps, I can't tell you how many miles I've ran, how many miles I've, you know, climbed, walked. Um, like, listen, I, I, physical fitness is what we do. We have to do that. We have height and weight standards. They demand it. Like, this is things. I, I'm active. I actually work out. I do things. And so he's like, so he didn't know that you had a blockage. I said, I had no idea. So when we're talking, I said, listen, I just want to understand how serious this is. If we didn't come to this hospital, we went to our primary doctor, uh, what would have happened? And he explained, listen, I would not be talking to you right now. I'll be talking to your wife. And it didn't dawn on me what he was saying. I'm thinking maybe because they would have given, given me open, open chest, open heart surgery. You know, he's like, no, you wouldn't have probably made it. And so at that point, I'm, I'm learning and starting to hear about what a STEMI really is and realizing the amount of people who died since that incident, it's just a matter of time that you need to get yourself taken care of. Um, some of the things that were factors I had no idea, and this is why I want to share with people so I can hopefully save some lives. Uh, genetically, my father had history of heart failure, my mother and my father's side. We didn't talk about that. Uh, I realize some families, they don't talk about finances, they don't talk about health, um, among other things, um, even death, right? Hey, if something happens to you, right, your important papers, you have a will, you have a trust, um, power of attorney, any of these things, right? We don't talk about that because they're very hard conversations. And so mm -hmm. my wife called um, my dad to say, listen, Les had a heart attack, but he's okay. My dad was like, oh, he's gonna be fine. I have, I've had several heart attacks and I have three stents in my chest right now. I never knew this, man. And so when a doctor hears this, I had just did a physical, annual physical, a couple of months before the April time frame, and I didn't have any issues as far as high blood pressure. Cholesterol is a little elevated. But they said, listen, keep on eating right. Uh, change your diet up a little bit. Continue to exercise. That was it. Um, they prescribed medication. I was taking some medication. But again, it was already too late. 
Um, and so I learned these things after in post-surgery, post-stint. And so the doctor would have prescribed certain um, echocardio tests to see what the blood throughput was, right? So EKG, they can do an EKG that tells you the electrical components in your heart. However, um, the actual either MRI or uh, I think it's an echocardiogram, I believe that's what they call it, uh, that tells you the blood throughput for your actual mm -hmm. body, uh, your heart, your valves, your veins. So that will help to determine, hey, do you have blood clots? Do you not? And it's funny because, man, I'm watching Deion Sanders talk about his injury that he has. And so he didn't have infections and blood clots. He didn't know that his family had a history of blood mm -hmm. clots until his mom told him, hey, you know, so-and-so died from blood clots. He's like, what? So if you have anybody in your family who has had blood clots before, Listen, you may have that also, and y'all need to get that checked because you may need to be put on blood thinners um, or to determine your throughput right now. If you have a history of clots and high blood pressure, that is a mixture right now for some serious catastrophic cardiac, fa cardiac failure. Um, and so I want to make sure the person who feels, I feel like I'm having indigestion or back pain, that may not be back pain, that may be your vessels to your heart slowly constricting. Because the false thing that took place was, Earlier that day, I felt this feeling before, but it ended up going away. So the blockage started to build in that vessel, but then it finally mm -hmm. subsided and it pushed through. So I felt like, oh, wherever it was, I finally digested it. That wasn't the case. So some people right now are experiencing those same symptoms, and you have no idea. You might be actually slowly dying or having a blood clot, and you don't even know it. And sometimes you're in a matter of minutes. So when you hear somebody die in their sleep, uh, died at an early age, or heart failure, um, cardiac arrest. Uh, these are things that, again, like well, they, did not, they did not know. They may had signs that they weren't aware that this could potentially be a thing. So talk to your parents, because what I knew was my grandfather uh, on my mom's side and my great-grandfather on my mom's side, they both died at an early age, like I think before 30 or 40. I mean, he was a young age, man. And so we don't know what, but it was from heart failure. Um, then talking to the family about this whole thing, my mother, both of our brothers, and her sister all have heart issues. I think three of the four children have stents. My mother's heart condition wasn't bad enough to where she required stents at all. And she's doing fine. She's healthy. Uh, my family looks good, man. They do. They're very healthy now. But they all had stents. I had, we had no idea until I opened up and said, man, like, do you know about this? You're like, well, yeah. You know, I actually had my surgery two, three years ago, but it was actual schedule, a scheduled surgery. If my doctor from a care physician knew that, hey, he has history of blood clots, she would have did follow on tests or scheduled me to get maybe a stent once they found out, hey, listen, he does have some blood restriction to his heart. So right. to be a person to say, I think I'm healthy, uh, I think I'm fit, I'm fine. Um, in a different ending, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. And so that now, from that point on, April 22nd, um, everyday system is a gift. Um, the things that I know would say no to, I'm like, sure, yes, let's, let's try it out. Let's figure this out. Let's see. Uh, because this is a gift. You, you wouldn't have been here if there was any other way that anything else happened. And so uh, now my wife does not let me live it down. I got to hear every day how much she saved my life. Um, she wears a suit on the cape <laughs> Just to remind me that she saved my life. She's like, you can't tell me no about anything because I saved your life. So it's been, again, it's been a, a blessing 
Um, but I really care more about saving more lives based on, now you know, if you feel this, go talk to your primary care physician. The only way they're going to do further heart tests beyond the EKG is if you actually explain to them, my family has a history of clotting or a history of heart failure or heart condition. That is the only way you're, well, not the only, but that's the majority of the time where they will order more tests uh, for your heart, for your arteries, um, and for your blood system, um, just to make sure that they can rule out clots or they can actually attack it earlier versus you reacting to your actual arteries failing at the time frame. So it was um, eye-opening. Um, to this day, I just finally got the clear to con conduct physical activity. Uh, I just did a stress test on Monday um, with the doctors. Uh, I told them, listen, if I start working out, I'm coming to the hospital and work out, and work out there. So if anything happens, they'll get me in a hospital as soon as possible. So he really ordered um, more tests to make sure. Right. Um, but mentally, I'm still struggling. This is my, again, it took my brothers, man, James, uh, Daryl, DeMarco, Derek, a lot of my friends, man, to really say, dude, start pushing it. Mind you. Marine Corps 20 years, dude, I don't have any fears. But this is different. This is not a life or death thing for as far as um, this fear is, oh, I just don't want to do it. No, this is life or death. Um, and I had a friend, this is the bracelet I'm wearing right now, had a friend who died from the same thing, but all he was doing was walking, right? And so that fear basically, I have two friends, Ariel and Dargan, and Anthony, both died from blood clots, a heart failure. And they were all in their 30s, 36 and I think 32. Um, and that that affects you because when you're running four or five in the morning or at night, are you going to be the person that's laying on the ground as a car passed by and say, hey, there's some guy laying down? I don't want it to be me. So I had to overcome the mental fear, and I just overcame it. This is the second week that I started working out again. Um, my wife is in the garage with me when I work out. Um, and so it's been a... a a walk, man, a walk of faith to get myself back to a point where I trust my body. Uh, I receive confirmation from my heart that I can work out. And I'm just trusting, again, the process, trusting God that he's going to take care of me because he brought me this far. Um, and just overcoming just those um, personal fears, man, of, hey, dude, like, this ain't going to work for you. So um, it's just, I just started getting back to in the swing, man. It's week number two. You know, I'm telling you now, I'm so thankful to finally have the courage to be able to do this. You know, the, the, the capstone was I was doing push-ups, just climbing around with my kids. And my wife took a video of me, my girls, and the dog doing push-ups, man. And it was like, this is the moment right here where I say, God, thank you for me of being able to use their smiles as fuel to help me get over uh, my fear, man. And that's the thing of being a parent. Sometimes your kid can actually empower you and motivate you to overcome a fear or struggle or um, a generational curse that you couldn't get over before. So I'm thankful for that, man. And that, that's, that's been my medical story. So if anybody who um, has been having issues with tingliness in their ring finger, pinky finger, or you feel like uh, the two arteries, like the veins here, it feels like it's pinching all the time, feels weird, uh, you might want to get that checked and checked for, again, uh, blood clots, uh, blood flow, high blood pressure, cholesterol. If you have those things, take your medication. But try to find out what is causing the high blood pressure. Is it diet? Is it my blood restriction? Uh, blood restriction in my veins. What is that? Um, these are things that you should be asking questions so you can pinpoint 
if it's a diet thing, if it's a hereditary thing, or do you actually have something blocking your arteries right now and you have no idea? That's something that we need to dig further. You need to dig further from your doctor to find out. If not, yeah. you can find yourself yeah. being strapped down, having a needle uh, going through your wrist, linking up to your heart to actually insert a stent while you're awake uh, on the table. So um, they say, don't be like me, but please be like me and make sure you take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, man, my my uh, my father, when I was in I think I was in middle school, so it's been a long time. He had uh, he had to have a stint put in. Um, and I remember uh, my stepmom calling, you know, calling the house because at that time we didn't have cell phones. I remember her calling and talking to my mom and, and telling her. And I was like, my my dad, like, you know what I mean? Because at that point, like he was. He was at the he was at the Y, you know, running full four or five games. You know, he was when I went to go see him, we would go work out. Like he was, he was like super active, you know. And then I was like, "There's no, there's that doesn't make any sense that that he's, you know." And so it could be anybody, it could be any of us, fellas. And so that's why the health part is so important, man. Because I think a lot of us we do just kind of like. I'm all right, man. I feel good. Everything's okay. Or we'll like, you know, just uh, maybe I'm not digesting something or we start to diagnose ourselves. Like we're, we're <laughs> like, we went to medical school at all. Um, and then, and then we end up in situations that maybe we don't want to be in. So, so, uh, come. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So on the on the on the back end of that now now you're kind of getting a little bit back active. Do you, I mean I think it does, but I'm going to ask anyway. Does that change how you live your life now? It does. I'm more deliberate uh, with making memories for one. Uh, I'm very I'm more disciplined with what I eat. Um, cut out all red meat, so no pork. Um, steaks. I really wasn't a big steak or pork eater, but. I think, you know, I'll do bacon, I'll do, you know, every now and then the pork chop. Um, but I don't eat those things anymore. And that's okay. Like I'm willing to change up my diet, eat as lean and as healthy as possible the majority of the time. Um, and you always say, listen, you can eat this at moderation. Well, moderation in due time to me is a problem. I, I worry about moderation. Like if I eat the bad thing too many times, um, or not a lot, but the frequency over some years, it just grows. I have a fear of being back on that table. Because mind you, before I had this uh, stimulus, I've never had one surgery in my life. So you got to think of mentally how that affects me that I'm on this table about to die and I've never been on a table before in my life. Like this is my one time and that is enough for me to say, listen, we're going to change how we eat. Um, we're going to eat as healthy as possible, as, as lean as possible. Um, and that's just what I, for myself, I say I will do. And so that's what I've been doing. I'm fine with that. And that's what my life is, but I'm here to do it. And so, um, that's the really biggest thing. Change diet. Uh, and then memories, man. Like, I, I don't have any. There are times where I wake up, like, man, I do not feel like being a father day right now. I'm like, man. But getting up on a, you know, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday for cheer or for volleyball, it's like, man, do we really have to do this? And the answer is yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Because again, you could not have been here, but you are now. So it made me not, again, not be a selfish. I do now deliberately, though, take time more for myself uh, than I did before. So prior to having the STEMI, I never did much for myself as far as I'm going to do this for me. Here's my hobby. My hobby was at home for me. 
Um, but I've gone on since then probably about four or five trips, different places with my friends. I mean, like a friend of mine lives in Arizona. We go see him. Went to DC, Houston. Um, we just, I just, hey, fellas, let's get stuff to just do things together deliberately on our own. Uh, and that's what we've been doing, man. And so that has really helped me to step back and see the bigger picture of again, my purpose. Because sometimes you have to step away from your household to grow, right, for yourself, right, to listen to God. You can't sometimes do that in a place of comfort. So I will purposely now I've traveled mm-hmm. more on my own. And it's my it's it's literally um a challenge because I love being here with my babies. I do. Every morning I'm waking my kids up, hugging them, kissing them. I just do that. You know, my daughter's fifteen, I still pull a cereal out this so hey, you can pull your stuff, you go, baby. It's the interaction. I have a personal problem with not seeing mm-hmm. my child before she goes to school. Um, why? Because I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't. I don't. So I really have changed my diet, my vision. Um, I'm more open to doing and exploring new things now. Um, and I'm more open to asking another man, another person, how is your health? What are your top concerns? What keep you up at night? And I, I boldly ask that because why not? So I really have become more bold in making sure yeah. that I deliberately ask other people how they're doing. I didn't do that before. I say, how are you? Okay, good. The normal wave top conversations, but like, hey, what keeps you up at night? What's your worst fear right now as far as your health, your life? Um, you know, if you can do this all over again, what would you do differently, right? And I've also taken a stance of talking to my elders now, my mother-in-law's friends, the Valerie's, um, Ms. Linda, uh, my dad, uh, my uncles, Uncle Joe, um, and say, listen, if you compare it all over again, what would you do differently? I ask those questions now because I want to make sure that I take on what they have learned, and I'm purposely taking those things in. Um, Jordan said they want to discipline and be and be more disciplined and more uh, hold their children more accountable um, and teach them more uh, about just life things, life skills. It's kind of been the, the general consensus of those parents. So that's why now I do those same things where, you know, baby, what are you watching on TV? Let's watch it together. I want to know what you know, like see what you like, so mm. I can see who you are. Um, because again. Why not? Because the, I'm telling you right now, dude, the minute my girls are gone, I'm going to be a mess. Why? Because right now, I'm <laughs> my life, my purpose. So that next phase, I'm going to have to be like, now what do you do? Do you now, again, wait for the next person for you to ask your parent or the next person for you to mentor? Um, or whatever it is that God has for you, I'm still trying to figure out because I don't know. So since having the, um, the episode, man, I've been more deliberate, more conscious about what I'm doing, eating. Uh, and being deliberate with memories, uh, being deliberate with life. Like my friends and I are about to go to Napa Valley for a second time. I never thought in my life I'd be doing that. But we deliberately said, listen, we're going to start doing these things. Let's do it. Don't be yeah. afraid. Let's do it. And so that's what we've done. We've, we've made deliberate memories now, man, and more. And live life more to the fullest to where you only have this one time, man. So make the best of it. And it takes discipline, financial discipline. Um, but it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So listen, all of this is a gift. I'm here for it all. And so that's what I'm, that's how it affected me, man. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, these next couple of questions I think are going to be, be, uh, really interesting, uh, considering what all you've been through and, and on the, on the heels of what, what just recently happened in the last year. Um, there's a question I always ask, and, and I get different answers, um, but they all kind of always point to the same thing. So I'm really interested to hear what yours is. 
And uh, that is, is what does fatherhood mean to you? Fatherhood means um, responsibility and being unselfish um, beyond what you think you should be. Um, fatherhood is continuous growth, man. Um, you're always growing. You're unselfish. Um, fatherhood is being a character. What I mean by that, an actor and an actress, they portray a character. They don't care about mm -hmm. what it takes to portray that character. They just portray that because that is my mission and my role, my purpose right now. So fatherhood is you being a character, a character of leadership. Listen, a character of mistakes, a character of flaws. I've learned some life lessons from my dad, my older brothers, that I learned through them. I learned birth control through them. I learned what not to do financially through them. So even if it's not deliberate, it could be, you know, um, you know, by by happenstance that you learn. But fatherhood to me is just you're that character um, that you didn't think you could be. That's what fatherhood is to me. You're versing yourself that you didn't really know that you could be, but you, that's what you are. That's what fatherhood is to me. Wow. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, okay. If you uh, if you had one message, like uh, if you just you you know we we brought you brought you onto the podcast, and uh, like you can only say one thing, or you just had one theme for what you wanted to say, and uh, you know it's just just for fathers. What would you want them to hear? I would say, uh, if you cloned yourself, which version would you prefer to be? That he should have done um, in the moments when he didn't want to do it. But that took courage. That took being a little bit a bit vulnerable. Um, what version of yourself do you want to be? The beauty of it is you can actually choose which one it is. But you have help. You have brothers. You have sisters. You have different individuals out here who can help you. So I would say one day I can give to somebody, especially a father, be the version of a father that you know for a fact you'll be proud to see in your 70s and 80s. Um, that version of your father, that the person who, the person whose life meant the most to you and they are no longer here, be the version of yourself that will make that person proud. Um, and thinking if you do that, man, oh man, you'll be shocked at the things you can accomplish and achieve by being unselfish and being a version of you right. again that you didn't know you be. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, that was a good episode. So I'm gonna have you back for a second one. Uh, but this time only two people get to hear it. And, and those two people are your children. What do you want them to hear? Beautiful. Uh, it's my babies. Um, understand. I love you tremendously. Um, you have made me more than the human being that I thought I could be. You did. It. Um, you made me more conscious, more aware, uh, more selfish. Um, yeah, I'm proud of y'all for being the young ladies y'all are. Y'all y'all are variants of your mother, your grandmother, uh, G, um, your aunts. You're a you're a, a gumbo full of all the flavors of life that people before you had. And I'm so proud to see bits of them, bits of your cousin Courtney, bits of your aunt Juliet, um, all of your family members, bits of cousin Alan uh, T. To see my children to be 
portions of their family. And I see how they love Girls on Prodigal. Um, if y'all are seeing this, just know that your existence uh, means so much to me, uh, your mama. Um, y'all are y'all special. And I cannot wait to see who you're going to become, what you're going to do uh, in this world, how you're going to impact them. Um, and just, again, live your life to the fullest. That one that makes you proud of who you are. And I'm just, again, just tremendously happy to have known and met you um, and to watch you girls grow because it's been not only an honor, but y'all teach me, every year y'all get older, you teach me something brand new. And that means the world to me. So just thank you, babies, for existing. Um, love people. Uh, make sure that you protect your peace regardless of the DNA. Make sure you block anything uh, out of your life that should not help, that isn't helping you grow uh, or helping you become a better woman. Um, and it's okay to leave things behind that aren't helping you move forward in life um, because that was only for that season you're supposed to have that thing in your life. So I love y'all um, and just so thankful. I am me because of y'all. So that's what I will tell them, man. I love it, man. I love it. I, and that, that's, that, that was impactful, right? That was impactful. That, that wasn't, that wasn't fluff. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just words that they had, that all had meaning, man. And, and I'm sure when the girls do hear this or when they do see this, they're going to feel, they're going to feel that. So that's awesome. Man, I don't want to take up too much of your time on a, on a Friday. Um, I know you got to, you know, you got stuff you got to do, get back to the family and, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I do, I do, uh, you know, if, if, the, if guys want to reach out to you, uh, you know, if they have questions, they want to talk to you, uh, what, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, just again, search me, uh, Jackson LR3 at Gmail. You can email me uh, or find me on any social media platform with that email address. Uh, reach out Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, just search the email address. Contact me. Um, I'm here to, to grow with you, help you out, uh, learn from you, network with you, uh, and just be a, a presence in your life, man. So again, reach out and let's again do focus on our purpose, man. So uh, they can reach out any kind of way they can. Uh, this podcast, um, any one of them, Dear Son Podcast, please reach out um, any way you can. And let's have these conversations. Uh, let's grow. And again, uh, I'll be here to volunteer to be part of your village any day to help us <laughs> grow, man. Yeah, yeah. And any every village would be lucky to have you, brother. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for taking the time taking the time out of your day to, to, to share your story, to share your journey in fatherhood. Um, I'm excited for, for you and for your journey that's going to be continuing. And I know that we're going to talk again. And actually when we hop off here, I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes about, uh, about Napa. Um, okay. so yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you again, man. Taking the courage to even set this up. Um, what people don't see is the fact that, it took you some courage and some doubt just to hit record, just to set these things up. So just thank you guys for your courage and your willingness to be like, I'll put myself out there and do it. So thank you for giving me the platform, giving me the means, the media to do it. Um, because if not, I may not be saving any lives at all if you don't provide this for me. So thank you, man. Oh, thank you. But I'll be here.
You just tuned into another episode of the Forfeit Fatherhood podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow me at You Can Call Me Coach on Instagram. Also, follow the podcast at Forfeit Fatherhood, the number four and the letter U on You Can Call Me Coach. Uh, go ahead and flip over to the next episode, man. I know you love this one, so you'll probably love the next one. Excited for you guys to hear it. <laughs>